Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. If you think about a baby, their development is more around brain development in that first year. And I like thinking about it compared to other animals. So if you think about a cow and like a one-year-old cow, they're like almost fully grown or like dogs or cats. So like other animals have a lot more physical growth and you need protein for that, like muscle development, those kind of things. But for humans, for brain development, it's a lot more about fat. For humans, like we're less, we're less into that physical growth. Uh, it takes a long time for a human to be fully grown. Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dofniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. I'm Chris, your host, and today we have a returning guest on the podcast today talking about a new topic I know many of you are really excited to hear about. We are talking all about feeding babies with Michelle Taggy. She came on the podcast last year to talk about postpartum nutrition and the importance of nourishing ourselves, not just our bodies, but also our minds and really taking care of ourselves in that postpartum time. And we also talked a little bit about breastfeeding nutrition for those moms who nurse. And this is a really awesome follow-up episode as now we are kind of moving into talking about nutrition for our babies when it is time to start feeding our little ones solid foods. Michelle is here to share about how we can go about doing that 
in a way that is really nourishing for our babies and might even be a little bit unconventional, might be a little bit different than some of that conventional wisdom you've heard. But the research shows that our babies need a specific kind of nourishment because they are growing in a different way than we are and they are functioning in a different way than we are as adults. And so she talks all about that in today's episode and it was just such a fun conversation. I talked a little bit about how the things that I learned about feeding my babies changed in between the four years between my two daughters, how much less stressed I was with my second daughter, but how different our approach was to feeding with my second daughter. I talked about this a little bit on my episode with Megan McNamee from Feeding Littles in terms of baby-led weaning, but the type of foods that I served my babies changed as well. And so we talk about our own experiences in this episode, and then we go pretty deep into why it's important to feed our babies these really nourishing foods when they are young and how it can help serve them throughout their life. So for those of you who don't yet know Michelle, Michelle is a mom to a four-year-old and a one-year-old. She is dedicated to giving evidence-based information about nutrition for babies and debunking the common myths you might hear. She's a certified nutritional therapy practitioner and has degrees in statistics and data science. She is passionate about sharing her research and favorite recipes with you to keep our babies happy and healthy. She truly believes that real food is the best way to keep illness away. She's the host of the podcast Nourish and Nurturing, which covers a variety of topics around health for moms during pregnancy and postpartum and health for babies through food. She created the Real Food for Real Babies course to walk moms through the menus method of starting solids for babies. She also co-authored the Real Food for Real Moms postpartum prep guide. So she talks all about the menus method in this episode, and we just, we go into so much. It was such a fun conversation. I always love chatting with her, and I know you guys are going to love everything she has to share. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Michelle. Welcome back to the podcast, Michelle. I am so excited to have you on for a second time. Your first episode was so well-received talking about postnatal nutrition. And then today we are going to be talking about the babies that we gave birth to and first foods for babies. So this is going to be such a fun conversation. I am so excited to have you on. How are you today? I am so good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Hopefully um, those babies that you were preparing for <laughs> from my last episode, you're ready to start feeding them now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I love to start every episode with a fun little icebreaker and it's different than the last one you did. So this one will be fun. I would love to know what you are reading these days. Okay. This is funny. I'm kind of embarrassed to even say this, but um, I wanted fiction, like good fiction to just walk to. So it's nice out. I want to get outside and I usually read nonfiction and it's hard to just like go for a walk and crave more. Um, but these are like so old. I, did you know the show castle on EBC? Yeah. He's so they actually have books. Like he was like a writer in the, the thing and they came out with the books. So I've been like binging through all of those books on audible. <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's so fun. So one of my favorite things to listen to in the car, because I find myself doing a lot of driving these days with two kiddos in two different schools and then teaching cooking classes 45 minutes away. Um, so I've been reading a lot of, I've been listening to a lot of memoirs. And then I am also a fan of just fiction to just totally get my mind off of everything. And it prevents me from just like scrolling on Instagram and TikTok. So I'm a big fan of like 
romantic comedy books. So I'm with you on the like fun fiction just to decompress, especially when you're, you know, kind of day to day hanging out with kiddos working, you know, it's fun to decompress. Yeah. And it's not even that like fun fiction. Cause it's like crime and like, uh, you know, it's police books, but, uh, I and I do that. a lot of like podcasts around true crime, but so I'm into it. <laughs> I love it. Hey, it's whatever, whatever takes your mind off of the hard stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I am so excited. Like I said, at the beginning to talk about feeding babies, babies first food. So I am a little bit removed from this phase in my life, actually fairly removed at this point. My youngest is almost four, which is crazy. So I'm like, you know, three and a three and a half years removed from this, but it's something that I find so interesting and so fascinating. And we've had an expert on talking about baby led weaning, but we haven't talked a lot specifically about nutrition and when it comes to first foods and babies. So I would love if you could start just by introducing yourself or any of the listeners who didn't hear your last episode, and then just kind of share where your passion for teaching about first foods started. Yeah. So I am Michelle. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and my background is more in statistics and data science before I moved more into nutrition. And I just love that research side of it. So actually I had health problems that started when I was in second grade. Um, And it wasn't until I was like 21, 22 and still having a lot of issues that somebody was asking what I ate, (laughs) which is like nuts, but that's how our medical system works. Um, And even with babies, if you're if your doctor is doing some blood work, it's to find out like, oh, you've already been deficient in this. They're not kind of proactively telling you, here's the nutrients your baby needs. It's like, oh, let's test later and make sure they're not low. Um, So it's, I just really wanted to be ahead of this, like, let's not have these issues. And so the postpartum piece, I did have some I guess issues postpartum with my first, we had some trouble with breastfeeding with a tongue tie. And I I just let myself get really depleted and completely pour everything into my baby and really just obsessing about breastfeeding, going back to work at six weeks. So that guide I came out with for the postpartum period is really prepping ahead as much as you can. So let's get nutrient dense foods frozen And so you can take care of yourself. Like food is nourishment and it's also self-care. So if you're, if you're just like running around and eating crap because you feel like you don't have time to eat anything, it can kind of bleed into other things I feel like. So I think just having that intention around food can really go a long way to saying, I care about myself. I matter. Um, But it's also like crazy when you have a newborn to expect yourself to cook. (laughs) So, um, a lot of, a lot of my materials are for the busy mom. Um, let's, let's bulk cook, let's get it in the freezer. Um, because that's how I liked to do things. I was working full time and now have a business. And, um, so it has to be attainable as well, but yeah, I just going back to the health problems I had, um, I just want to prevent that. And there's, 
I, I ate like crap as a kid. And I can say that now knowing what I know. Um, but like kids, they're just so easy to, if something's wrong, like they're easy to heal because they don't have all these years of damage. Um, so yeah. And I also, I'm, I just want to break some of these norms around a lot of the packaged foods and that's something. So my oldest is almost four and that's something we have to deal with a lot, like going to birthday parties and the standards that are available at kids events are just not great. So that's kind of part of my mission locally is can we do better? Like kids, kids like foods that are quality foods as well as foods that are junk. Um, can we make a muffin that isn't full of white flour and, you know, garbage, but, um, so that's, that's another part of what I feel really strongly about is I know we're going to talk about that. Like some of these foods that are considered weirder, but like, let's challenge that. I love that. I love challenging the norm and going, how can we just do a little bit better? And I love that you have that personal background too, where you had your own health struggles. And I think that's always the best motivator, right? Going, okay, I had all these health struggles and I don't want my kids to experience those same things. And, you know, we can't prevent everything, but we can do our absolute best, right? And that was actually one of my own motivators when it came to my kids and, and feeding them their first foods was um, I've had a lot of gut issues over the years. And I've been super open and talked about it a ton here on the podcast. It's sort of ebbed and flowed throughout my life. And I finally got into a place where like, I, I know how to eat in a way that feels good for me. And I feel like my gut is healed. Any flare-ups that come up, it's usually just stress related. Um, and I can eat a way larger variety of foods than I could when I was even healing my gut. Now I can be a little bit more, you know, balanced, so to speak. And, um, now, because I think I did so much of the hard work, but I don't want my kids to have to go through that and have to do all the hard work that I did. I would rather kind of start them off in a really good place and encourage them to love the foods, like you said, that are really nutrient dense and might be a little bit different than the norm. But if that's the norm for them, then they will like those foods as well as like the package type foods. And like, you know, for us and our family, we try and do a balance of, you know, lots of those real whole foods. And then some of the like slightly better for you packaged foods, like my, uh, this is totally off topic, but my almost four-year-old ate almost an entire box of Simple Mills crackers yesterday because she wanted crackers. And so I was like, here, have some crackers. And she's like, mama, do these have salt in them? I was like, they do have salt in them. She's like, these are good. I'm like, hey, <laughs> they're made with like almond flour and super simple ingredients. I'm not mad. Um, I wouldn't be mad if she ate any sort of crackers because she was just listening to her body. But you know what? It was, it was funny that like that she loved them so much. So anyway, a little bit off topic of in terms of like the actual first foods, but I'm a hundred percent with you. There's so much that we can do as parents to help our kids from the very start. So I would love if you could just talk a little bit about why babies' nutrient needs are different than adults. I think we can like kind of inherently understand that, oh yeah, babies probably, they probably need something different. They're smaller, but they're not just tiny adults. So why are their needs different than adults? Yeah. So this is, I mean, if you think about a baby, their development is more around uh, brain, brain development in that first year. And 
I like thinking about it compared to other animals. So if you think about a cow and like a one-year-old cow, they're like almost fully grown or like dogs or cats. So like other animals have a lot more physical growth and you need protein for that, like muscle development, those kind of things. But for humans, for brain development, it's a lot more about fat um, and for humans, like we're less, we're less into that physical growth. Uh, it takes a long time for a human to be fully grown. Um, but even for a baby, they're not moving very much for a while. And it's more about, yeah, let's, let's get them the development, the coordination. Um, so yeah, it it really is very different. So protein specifically is something that babies don't need very much of, uh, compared to fats and carbohydrates just for the development that they're going through. So it is, uh, it's just more about the functions that the body is performing. Like their liver is not very well developed until about three months old. And, um, I think it's just one of those evolutionary things that, um, like, yeah, where humans are just born less developed than some other animals are. So a lot of those nutrients that they'd be getting from mom in utero, they're still needing from breast milk and from food once they start eating. And this is, um, in my postpartum resource, I talk a lot about the foods that you need for a breastfeeding mother. So there's a lot around there about breast milk is best for babies, which I love breastfeeding, but if mom isn't taking in certain nutrients, they're going to be completely missing from her milk, which I think is just a common misconception that breast milk has everything you need and it'll give it to the baby over the mom. But that that's true for some nutrients, but not others. So, um, this is a tangent, but just making sure if you're still a breastfeeding mom, when you're hearing this, making sure you're getting things like fatty fish for DHA, getting lots of egg yolks or for choline. And these are all going to be things that are present in your milk if you're consuming them and helping that, that brain development. So once you start foods around six months old, you're kind of complementing either breast milk or formula because the formula and the breast milk are kind of made to meet those needs to bring you up to when you're, you're starting solids. I find it so interesting, the whole fat conversation, because I'm someone who has, you know, in the last 10 years or so of being in the nutrition world, you know, starting out in more of a traditional nutrition world and then learning more about when I say traditional, I mean, just kind of like the food pyramid nutrition. That's what I went to school for. Um, and then, you know, learning more about holistic nutrition and traditional foods. I know that we had, um, Dr. Heather Rhodes on the podcast a few months ago, talking about hormone health for women and how important fats are. And I think so for so long, fats, were demonized for adults, but I think that also sort of carried on to our kids. And so for so long, we were like, oh, too much fat is not good, but we need it so much for development. So when I started researching first foods for babies, that was one of those things that kept coming up over and over again is fats and healthy fats and and, you know, brain development. And I love that comparison that you made to animals because that makes so much sense. And I wish that somebody had given me that comparison earlier on, because it does make sense. It takes us so long to actually grow into a full-size adult, you know, like 18 plus years to grow into a full-size adult. But 
we have the most advanced brains in the world. And so that is what is most important. And we need that brain health in order to do that, you know, the coordination and all those type things that we need to do that, like talking <laughs> that, you know, they start doing at what whatever age, you know, six months a year. Right. Um, even more so than the movement, like you said. So I love that comparison. And I'm sure there the moms listening are like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. That's why their needs are different because they are growing and developing and it's really focused on brain health and then kind of going from there. So, and then, yeah. And one thing that's really cool, and I know this is a very developing science, but epigenetics, the research they're doing. So epigenetics is the expression of genes. So you're born or conceived with the genetic material that you have forever, But the expression of genes um, is something I think that until pretty recently seemed random. Um, Like you have a genetic marker for breast cancer, you get it or you don't. Um, What they're showing now is in that first thousand days of life. So the, the thousand days is roughly nine months of pregnancy and the first two years of baby's life. So in that thousand days, um, that is a huge predictor of genetic expression. So if you're meeting your nutrient needs, getting what you need in utero and in breast milk and in these first foods, it's going to make a big difference on the, yeah, the genetic, not the genetic material, but the genetic expression you have for the rest of your life. So I think that's just so cool that, um, you know, if I have some issues myself and I don't want to pass them on to my kids, like there is that lever of control. Like you obviously can't control the randomness of the genes, but like the expression that they have, um, which is, like I said, it's a very new science, but I'm super excited to be in that space and kind of follow along the research there. I know. I find it so fascinating too. I had my genetics tested a few years ago and learning more about gene expression and all that. I could totally nerd out on that, but I find that really interesting. The first thousand days and kind of the goes back to, there's so much that we can do for our kiddos and we can't control everything, but we can definitely give them a good start. So for the mom who is listening, who is brand new to feeding a baby, or maybe they fed a baby before, like myself, we fed our babies very differently. So I have two kiddos for the listener who is not familiar with me and my story and my kids. Um, So I have an almost eight-year-old and an almost four-year-old. Actually, by the time this podcast comes out, they'll probably be eight and four. And so they are four years apart. So I learned a lot in those four years. And so, you know, our our eight-year-old, we went a little bit more of the um, like classic. We didn't do like rice cereal or anything like that. We started with more whole foods, um, but we definitely didn't venture into anything much more different than that. And we fed our youngest daughter much differently. So for the mom who's brand new to feeding a baby, or they might want to feed their second or third or fourth or fifth or whatever baby a little bit differently, when should they start? You mentioned this a little bit before. What with and why? Okay. So I'm going to refer, I know you're going to link to this, but the guide to starting solids um, is a free guide I have that'll kind of help you with those first two weeks. Um, just really like, like when to give the first food and what to do. But, um, basically 
when to start, it's generally going to be as close to six months uh, is ideal, but I, this is something I grappled with a lot. I have a one and a half year old now. I started her at five months because she's big and she was ready and I didn't have enough milk to sustain what she needed. So I did a lot of research into this when I was making that decision. So as close to six months is ideal for gut health, like baby's guts are still developing quite a bit and you don't want to give them anything that they're, they're not going to break down. Um, so if you have started and you see a lot of food in baby's stool, that's something that, that that's just a signal that you gave your baby something that they were not able to digest. So it, it can be irritating to the gut. If you think about like whole pieces of food going through all the intestines, it's um, not ideal. So uh, when to get started? Yeah, I, I think a big thing is watching your baby's cues. Um, so are they reaching for foods? Do they um, are, do they have full control of their neck and the ability to stay seating up if, uh, if you sat them up? So that neck and head control is especially important if you're going to start with a baby lead weaning kind of diet because they if they fall backwards and they have a big chunk of food, um, that it's a choking risk. So that's especially necessary to be able to sit up and have control of your neck if you're if you're going to do that finger food approach. But um, in general, yeah, it, just really following your baby's cues and um, with what to start with, especially if you're going to start before that six month mark. And I think that does happen often enough. Something, something else you might see is your baby is all of a sudden waking again at night when they were sleeping. So that's just a sign that they're actually trying to increase. And this is if you're breastfeeding, they're trying to increase your milk supply. So they're going to, they're going to help you out by waking up and feeding in the middle of the night to stimulate that. That's just a sign that they're not getting enough calories. So for me, that was a consideration too, as a working mom, I, um, I said, yeah, I think I'm okay with some easy to digest foods for my baby rather than doing these night wake wakings. So um, no, no judgments on your choices there. It's just information that it, it could be a sign that your baby needs more calories than they've been getting. So, um, with what to start with. So again, before that six month mark, we're going to be focusing on extremely easy to digest foods. And there's really three that I recommend. And all of these foods contain their own enzymes to digest them within the food. Um, so if you think about foods, like generally the, the, our body is producing enzymes to break these foods down, but there are foods that have these enzymes in them. So it doesn't require the baby's enzymes to further break them down. So this is going to be, if you think about like avocado and banana, how once they start to turn brown, they're really able to just like eat themselves. <laughs> um, so those are two of the foods. And then uh, egg yolk is the third. So I have some ways to cook egg yolk without the white. So the white is more, uh, more of an allergen, but also it's more difficult to digest. So I usually add in the white a little bit later, but it also is 
high in protein compared to the fats and the nutrients, like the, all of the, the nutrients that you need from an egg are in the yolk, not all, but most. (laughs) Um, so yeah, just cooking a, a runny egg yolk or doing like an over easy egg and getting the yolk out of there. I really recommend doing that only if you have pasteurized eggs, you know, the source otherwise, um, Otherwise I'm not going to recommend serving an undercooked egg, but that was, that was my first food for both of my kids was a runny egg yolk. So then once we are, so if you're talking about a baby that's six months or older, um, I would like to talk about iron stores quickly. So generally for most babies, they're going to be able to rely on the iron stores that they had from birth until they're about six months. So there's a little bit of iron in breast milk. It's not an, it's not a lot, but it's enough to get them to that six month point generally. And formula has iron, but it's generally not very well absorbed the form of iron that's in formula. So they're getting a small amount from their breast milk or formula to get them to that six month point. Um, Some doctors will start recommending rice cereal around four months. And this is kind of an old school attitude around it, but it's really to be, the reason they recommend those is for iron. And in some ways it's out of an abundance of caution. Like if your baby isn't, doesn't have iron stores to get them to that six month mark, we can start it earlier just in case. Um, but it's not great for other things like gut health, flavor preferences, like giving them these bland foods. Um, so I like to educate on when might your baby be at risk to be lower in iron, but like, and not get to that six month point. And then we can think about supplementing before that. So that would be if mom was anemic, either during pregnancy or breastfeeding baby was born before 37 weeks. Um, I mean, that's really it. So if your baby, oh, and if you did uh, immediate cord clamping, so if you're able to let the cord pulse for a little bit after baby's born before cutting the cord, they're going to get uh, richer iron stores. So if you didn't do, if any one of those puts your baby at risk for being lower in iron before six months, you might want to consider supplementing or um, doing something before that six month point to boost the iron. But for most babies, you're going to be able to get to that six month point, but then it becomes an extremely important nutrient. So this is, this is the thing I was talking about, about doctors will probably test your baby for iron around nine to 12 months. And a lot of doctors, that's the only recommendation they're going to give you is about the rice cereal. And it's because iron is so important for development. And this is where even breastfeeding can get kind of a bad rap in some medical communities because it is lower in iron, but we don't, we can get it from food as well. So that that's just something that is extremely highly emphasized in my feeding program once you get to that six month part. So um, I love foods like marrow and liver are very high in iron. Um, but even if you don't want to cook liver, you can do like a liver powder. Um, so there's ways to make it not that complicated, but if, if you're not going to do any of those foods that are really rich in iron, 
I kind of recommend talking to your pediatrician about potentially supplementing because it is better to take those precautions earlier rather than find out your baby is low later once they're tested. But something that's not ideal about the supplements as well as the rice cereal is the iron isn't very well absorbed and it can cause um, kind of like digestive discomfort, constipation. I don't know if you've ever taken an iron supplement, but it can, it can do that for adults too. So if you had that with your prenatal, like, um, it, yeah, it can, it can kind of cause that discomfort for your baby where the natural food forms of iron aren't going to do that. Mm, it's so interesting too. You know, I'm all about real whole foods as much as possible. And it's just so cool to, to just take note that the real whole foods are what our bodies are just more naturally inclined to. And they typically don't cause as many digestive issues than, you know, the supplemental forms. And sometimes we need the supplemental forms. And like, I can tell you by, from personal experience, this is probably TMI, but I've never in my life as someone with IBS and it is not IBSC. Um, like that was the only time I've ever had those type of digestive, digestive issues is when I was taking my first prenatal. And, uh, I was like, what is going on? And once I switched from to a different one, it was actually a whole foods prenatal. Um, that one felt a lot better and didn't give me the same digestive issues. So I can only imagine like poor little baby having this like a <laughs> digestive issue. I mean, I know that I've had one kiddo who has had some like issues with constipation and and it is so sad to watch your little one <laughs> in that kind of place. But the iron, when I, when I first learned, so one of my favorite classes in school, like way back when I was in college was the life cycle nutrition class. So I loved learning about prenatal. So literally we learned about everything from, um, we didn't really learn a lot about fertility, but we learned about kind of prenatal nutrition, a little bit about little tiny bit about postnatal, nothing like what you shared with us in the last episode. <laughs> and then we learned about breastfeeding. We learned about babies and, you know, and then through the life cycle. And so that was one of the things that they talked about was iron and how you know, I, I had no idea that babies get that iron store from their mom in utero. And then it's around that six month point where they start needing it again. I don't think that's common knowledge, but it makes so much sense why doctors for so many years have been pushing that rice cereal because of that iron. So there are other ways to get that iron, which is, which is so interesting and so cool. So some of the foods that you mentioned, or okay, other than like, you know, banana and avocado, actually one of our kiddos, we started on avocado and the other one, we started on egg yolks. Like you mentioned, I think egg yolks are common, but maybe not a common not a common first food. Um, once I learned a lot more about first foods for babies, when I learned about choline and I learned about healthy, I mean, healthy fats, that's why we switched to egg yolk instead of avocado. But my, my youngest also loved avocado as well. Other than those foods, which are pretty common, you mentioned things like bone marrow and liver, which are certainly unconventional. I know that I have only had liver a couple of times in my life. Um, and uh, the majority of the liver that I have eaten is uh, foie gras. And that makes me sound really bougie, but I did go to culinary school. And so that's why I had foie gras a couple of times and worked in high-end restaurants. Um, so it's not something that's common in our day-to-day -day. and bone marrow as delicious as I know it is, and it can be prepared. It is not very common. So can you share why these foods that might seem a little bit weird and a little bit strange, speaking as somebody who did 
feed her kids these weird, strange foods, <laughs> why they're not so weird and why they're not so strange and why these traditional foods, you know, other than we, we talk specifically about iron, why they can be so beneficial to our babies, maybe just exploring something a little bit different than the norm, a little bit different than that rice cereal. Yeah. So I like that you mentioned the traditional piece because this is something that like the wisdom is something we've kind of lost in modern day food. A lot is about food labels and marketing. Um, and I do want to touch on that. Like what, what we were saying about the pediatricians recommending rice cereal. I do specifically have a guide that's like how to talk to your pediatrician because some simple questions, just asking, why are you recommending that? Are there other ways to get iron? Things like that can be really helpful to understand what they're saying rather than um, them just taking you to like, oh, here's one possible solution. Um, But what's interesting is like when we were growing up, likely our parents did a lot more baby food. So you'd get the little Gerber jars and they would be fortified with a lot. And the trend now for moms that want to be healthy is we're going to make all of our own food. But what most moms don't have is this education around nutrition to know everything I'm making. Yes, I have enough iodine or I have enough iron or zinc or whatever nutrients we need. So I am, I'm with you that I'm all about getting these things from whole foods, but I don't think it's necessarily as easy as let me cook healthy things. And what I see a lot is people who are wanting to be healthy and cook their baby, their own food is they're really emphasizing vegetables And I think as adults, it's something that a lot of us are lacking. Like we do need more vegetables um, because it's easy for us to eat like the meat and potatoes or bacon and eggs or whatever and skip out on vegetables. So for adults, being healthier often does actually look like adding more vegetables. But for babies, they just can't eat that much. Like the quantity of food they can eat Um, and vegetables are great, but they're, they're not super nutrient dense foods. So if you're talking about, um, like per calorie, how much nutrition is in food. So that's, um, foods like liver are going to be at the top of the list. (laughs) So that part of it is just that, that they're not able to consume a lot. So we want foods that have the highest amount of nutrients in them. So, and then kind of balancing those out. So I'm going to do liver for the iron and the B vitamins and the vitamin A, like it, it covers a lot. And I'm going to add some sea vegetables for the iodine. And I'm going to add some yogurt for the calcium and the probiotics. So it's really just focusing on these nutrient dense foods. And like you said, like egg yolk and yogurt might not seem weird, but liver does, but it's really, it's the same, it's the same attitude that we're trying to get. Like we want to give our baby healthy foods. It's just, um, kind of shifting that to let's look at what nutrients are actually in food. So if you scrolled back on my Instagram, um, at your nourished baby, you can see, I, I did some of these comparisons of like, people think spinach is high in iron, but if you compare that to something like beef or chicken liver, it's going to be nowhere close and your baby 
it, it was something like you need 12 cups of spinach. <laughs> and I don't think anybody six month old is eating that. So I, I really think it is um, this, this cultural shift of moving from fortified packaged foods to real foods that we actually need to be eating different things. Because if you're eating like a little baby food jar of spinach, but it's fortified with a bunch of extra stuff, it actually, you know, I, as much as, as much as I want to like hate on those foods because the added vitamins are often not very well absorbed, it's better than completely missing um, an entire nutrient, which is something we're seeing a lot of babies that are deficient in iodine now that we've moved from uh, iodized, iodized salt to sea salt. Um, so we're seeing big deficiencies in choline and really choline was just something that people weren't very aware of until recently, but so they're noticing that. Um, so just, yeah, just kind of this attitude of like, let's get the nutrients from foods, but which let's learn how to structure a week, let's say, to make sure we're hitting all of these major nutrient groups. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just relearning. It's relearning what nutrient dense means. I think you have such a good point that for adults, oftentimes we are lacking in vegetables. And so we're like, oh, we got to give our kids all those healthy vegetables, which they are. They're great. They're healthy. But when we're talking about that tiny quantity that the baby's going to eat, it is about more bang for their buck. And so really, yeah, really shifting our mindset around those and I think that people might be surprised what type of foods their babies actually enjoy. So I know that my, when I, we had a little bit more of like a a traditional food approach with our almost four-year-old now, one of her favorite food or two of her favorite foods when she was really, really little um, were smoked fish. So smoked fish is a really, really easy way to get fish into the kiddos. It is very salty. So we didn't give her a ton of it, Um, but because it's already cooked, it flakes really easily. And we have this really great local fish market. I live in New England, so we've got a lot of local fish, which I'm very grateful for. And we had this great local fish market. So we knew exactly it was literally just fish salt and he smoked it. That was it. Um, and so she would, it would like flake off really easily and she would eat like handfuls of this <laughs> and we're like, okay. And like smoked mackerel, which is not a, which is a pretty fishy fish. And so she would eat a ton of smoked mackerel. She loved salmon. She still loves salmon. And we would just um, like pan sear the salmon and just flake it off for her. We would just cook it fully for her. Usually we do it medium for us and we would just cook it fully for her just so it's easier for her to act actually eat. Um, and that we also did, um, salmon roe. So my husband's Japanese. And so fish eggs are not weird at our house or in his family. And so whenever we had sushi, we would give her fish eggs, which just like with seeds, like any sort of eggs, this is something that I've learned, right? Any sort of eggs are really high in nutrients because that tiny egg turns into a whole big fish or like the seeds turn into a whole big plant. And obviously we weren't giving our kids whole seeds just to <laughs> at six month old, just to be clear on that. I'm just using that kind of as a comparison, but she loved those. And she also loves seaweed and they both still love seaweed. Actually, I get like the pre-packaged little uh, packages of just, just like seaweed and olive oil and sea salt. And they, I get a package of them at Whole Foods and they go through them in like two days and they're not cheap. (laughs) They love them. And I'm like, I'm not going to get mad because they're super rich in iodine. Um, Just like with the Simple Most Crackers, I'm like, I encourage them to eat the foods that taste good to them. And when my 
youngest was like, you know, probably six to nine months old. Those were her top foods. Like she loved fish. She loved fish eggs. She loved seaweed. And she also loved, we did some avocado. She never liked banana. But now she'll eat like three bananas in a row. Um, so we did do some vegetables. We did like sweet potatoes and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's so interesting what they like. And I try to not be hesitant as that parent learning all these new things and going, okay, I would like you to try these things and not be like, is she going to try it? And then she loved them. And it was so cool. So I just wanted to kind of share that little personal anecdote that like, I think our kids can surprise us with some of these foods that might not be as common for us. They might really like them. And then maybe we'll discover some foods that, that we like too. Yeah. And I I do not want to villainize vegetables in any way. Like it's great for developing your baby's palate and there's, there's a lot of good things in them, but it's really for that baby. So my daughter, um, she was eating three full meals by the time she was six months old. She was just, she was bigger. She was like hungry. Um, so she can have, she can have a wide variety of things. Like she's getting her nutrients met from the liver, but I work with a lot of babies who, by seven, eight months old, they're still struggling to kind of eat that one meal. And that's where I, I'm kind of like, well, let's only focus on these foods that your baby really, really needs if they're not eating very much. So that's just a factor as well. And when I'm talking about liver and bone marrow, it's not the bougie form of it. Even fish, like I do a lot of canned salmon, which is not something I personally like. I don't like liver either. I like, I wish I did, but, (laughs) um, so it's, um, it can be super easy. Like I said, canned salmon, the marrow I think is so easy to make, but it's not, um, we don't serve it as marrow. So the texture isn't as important. We just whip it up and add it into things. So you can add whipped marrow into pancakes or oatmeal or sweet potatoes. And it has a little bit of that, um, flavor of like the umami flavor, but it's, it's adding a ton of minerals to these foods. So, um, and then same with liver. Like if you, my kids will started on liverwurst at about eight months old and it could not be easier. It's fully cooked. You slice it and you give it to them. Um, or you can just use like a desiccated liver powder if you find a high quality one. So it doesn't have to be like crazy. And we did cook pate for our babies at six months old. So cooking liver with butter and, you know, apples or pears or whatever, like making a puree of liver. It doesn't like, it doesn't bother me, but it also doesn't smell the greatest. (laughs) So it's, I don't want to, I'm not strong arming moms or guilting them either. If you don't want to do that, let's just find something else that gives you the same, the same nutrient value and not like, don't kill yourself over it. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's important that like, this is a a really great suggestion, but if you're like, nope, I can't do it. (laughs) That's okay too. There's other options. My kids both like smoothies from when they were young. So we would make, um, we would just literally do frozen fruit or, um, so usually like berries or bananas, um, with a little bit of yogurt and we would do like the little liver packet in there and not the whole nut packet capsule but we would just do like a little tiny bit of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's like, that's something that we would do for them um, when they were young. 
Actually, well, I should say them. I don't think I did that with the liver powder with sage. I don't think I did because I don't think I was real. I was definitely not as into traditional foods then. So I did do the same smoothie for her with the yogurt, but I didn't do I didn't do the liver. So so Ren got the liver. Sage didn't. Sorry, <laughs> Sage. Um, though Sage does like liverwurst, and she'll ask for it sometimes. And I'm not the biggest fan of liverwurst. And no, my kids have never had foie gras. By the way, that's not something we have in our house either. <laughs> It's crazy expensive and I find it kind of strange too. I've had it in delicious preparations, but that is not, <laughs> even if you have a chef mom there, you're probably not getting foie gras um, on a random <laughs> Wednesday. Um, but yeah, Sage does like um, liverwurst. So we actually, that was one of those things. We tried that out with Ren and she was not a huge fan of it, but Sage ate it. So, you know, yeah, kids have have really interesting palates and there's different ways to to get it in. And from a culinary perspective, I love putting bone marrow in things too. I don't anymore, but I did when she was young and I definitely still could. I just haven't in a while. And yeah, we just roast it up, scoop it out and cool it and whip it and cool it or cool it off and then whip it. And I think it has a consistency of like bacon fat almost. Mm. And so it's really easy to put in things just like you said. So um, when I first learned how to prepare it, so I was like, okay, I've I've prepared bone marrow and like a culinary perspective. How am I going to feed this to my kiddo? Um, but yeah, so it is definitely a lot easier than you might think. But I love that, you know, you have this really easy approach to where you're like, okay, if you don't want to do it, it's okay. There's <laughs> other ways. It's just about that like awareness of nutrient density and getting these things into our kiddos when we can. So so I would love to, we talked a little bit about gut health, but I would love to dig a little bit deeper into gut health and just some of the things that we can do for our baby's gut health, because there's a lot out there about allergens. And I know that the, you know, the recommendations on allergens has changed a little bit over the years. Um, and I talked to Megan McNamee from Feeding Littles a little bit about in her episode, um, I want to say this from this past spring about allergens, um, but there's not a lot out there about taking care of our baby's gut. So I know you talked about really, really easily digestible foods in the very beginning. So can you share a little bit more about why, like what we can do to help our baby's gut health, because it's such an important factor when it comes to immune health and overall health. Yeah. And this is really interesting because I really dug into the research around allergens because so the, there, there's two allergens that were really shown to, if you're introducing this early and often, there's less of a chance of developing an allergy in these foods and that's eggs and peanuts. Um, so those are the only two that were shown statistically to have a difference. And I think what we saw from those studies coming out is, well, if it's true for those foods, it must be best to introduce as many foods as humanly possible as early as possible. And there's kind of these like hundred foods in a hundred days, uh, things around baby feeding, which I, I think is overwhelming. Um, but also yeah, if your if your baby isn't able to digest these foods, it's not serving them to eat them earlier. And like you know about leaky gut, where if foods are going into in through your gut lining into your bloodstream, it can actually cause food intolerances and food allergies. So um, I I do. I do introduce all of the top nine allergens before age one, but we're kind of staggering it in and we're not gonna, we're not going to be feeding 
gluten to a six month old. It's um, there's, there isn't anything that show that shows there's a benefit to that. And I think we all know that that can be just damaging to your gut. Um, so we're being really careful, but I have, uh, I'm pretty sensitive to gluten. I don't really eat it. And that was something I didn't want my kids to have issues with gluten. So um, I, in my program, I introduce it at around nine months. So we're, we're really conscious of the research that's out there around allergies, but I'm not taking it to this point of like, well, let's, let's just be careful and give them every food at the same time. So like I said, looking at your baby's stool can be really telling. Um, so Foods like blueberries, I don't think they're a great food before the age of one. And you can tell, um, you can almost see like full blueberries in your baby's stool if you give them blueberries. Um, so I think just, and not, a, and not every baby is going to go on the exact same schedule of being able to digest things. And there's certain things you can do to help digestion, like adding ginger or cinnamon or serving foods warm, um, not serving a lot of liquid with meals, but really there is, um, there is benefits to giving your baby foods that they can digest and then adding more foods as you go on. So pretty much by age one, um, it's go ahead and eat everything, but right away at six months, like a lot happens between, (laughs) between six months and 12 months. And there's a lot happening, with development of gut health. Like if you think about it, that before you introduce that first food, the gut hasn't had any solids. Um, so there's just a lot that's happening. Like you see the stool kind of will change from that liquidy to solid, but it'll go back and forth. Um, the bacteria that's in the gut, like you, once you start feeding starchy carbohydrates, like that's that gut environment is going to change. So we just really want to be supportive of all of those changes in gut health and not just throw it a bunch of stuff that it doesn't know what to do with from day one. So, so yeah, I kind of, I go by a bit of a schedule where here's the foods you introduce at six months and it's going to be based on both um, the nutrient density of those foods as well as the digestion of the foods. And it, it just kind of we add more foods every month and it doesn't have to be super strict. Um, but again, I tell people if they want to introduce foods that are much further down on the list, just watch your baby. Do they feel uncomfortable? Is there big chunks in their stool? And there's no rule that says you can't do that. But, um, if your baby's uncomfortable, it, it might be a sign that you might not want to do that. So I think even just having that awareness and paying attention to your baby is helpful versus just throwing everything at them and not, not even knowing what to look for, I think. Mm, Yeah, that makes so much sense. It never made sense to me as a mom to just do all of the things all at once. And I think it is so important to have that awareness and just to to watch our babies and notice, you know, what is maybe making them feel good? What isn't? I know in the beginning, um, my daughter struggled with some eczema, my youngest, for a little while. And it took us a little while to kind of figure out if it was was food. Um, And she eventually grew out of it. 
after just a few months, but we realized that we were giving her some foods that her gut was probably not ready for. And once we took them out and reintroduced them a few months later, she was totally fine. Um, once it had cleared up, we just kind of tested it. And so I think it is, you know, a lot of it is that mama's intuition and paying attention to our babies. And so I love that you have kind of a path for moms to follow when it comes to introducing these foods and you're still introducing those allergens, but you're doing it in a way that um, I know that would make me feel way more comfortable. And that's sort of the way that we did it as well um, was just like little, little by little one at a time. Because for me too, I was like very nervous. I'm like, I don't know if I want to give this kid peanuts at six months. Cause like, what if she has an allergy? There's that fear to it. Um, so yeah, so it is interesting. There's the research. And so you're following the research, but you're also, you know, taking it day by day, month by month and, and paying attention to your kiddos. So yeah, it really does go well with the intuitive eating because, I think that's something that, again, the attitude maybe when we were growing up was like, do the airplane, get your baby to eat more. And I I do see a lot of that from moms where they're concerned about their baby eating more. And I, my response is usually your baby knows how much they need to eat. If they're not eating a lot, let's just focus on a smaller number of foods to make sure they're getting what they need and let them, let them tell you when they need to eat more. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent coming from someone who has had two very teeny babies too. My youngest was my youngest. My oldest was born a little bit early. Um, and my oldest was born at full term. Uh, my oldest, my youngest, I'm, I'm getting my kids mixed up as always. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time we're getting ready for school and I'm like, Ren, Sage, you, I don't know. What are your names again? Um, so my, my youngest was born full term, but she was very small always. And Um, they encouraged us to start food earlier because she was so tiny. And when I say they, like the doctors, um, but you know, she didn't show readiness signs. And then when she did start eating food, she, and so we waited a little bit until it seemed like it, it felt right that she was ready. And then when she did start eating foods, like she ate like a champ and she, you know, and she ate and we like, we listened to when she was hungry and we let her stop when she was full. And some days she ate more, some days she ate less and she still remained small. And they had said at times, you know, the, any of the doctors that we saw were like, well, I mean, you could give her more if you want to to, you know, kind of plump her up a little bit, but she would just refuse it. I think our, our babies know, right. It's so, it's so interesting. That was one of those things that I learned in that life cycle nutrition class too, is that kids self-regulate and they really do up until a certain age, they know how to self-regulate and they just, they, they know to tell you when they're done. And she, you know, at four, she does that to this day too. And even my, even my eight-year-old now, she'll go, mommy, my tummy's full. I'm like, okay, cool. Like if you just ate half your dinner, that's fine. I'm not going to force you to eat it because you know that you're full, which is, which is really cool. So, so you have this cool method for feeding babies. You've shared this on your Instagram and I would love if you kind of highlighted it. It's the menus method. So it kind of outlines your philosophy on feeding babies. So can you share a little bit more about what it stands for and why it matters? Yeah. So the menus method is what I go through in my course. So there's five modules and one on each of the the letters of the acronym. So the M is meal prep, which I, I have mentioned several times. I don't want it to be overwhelming. I want it to be almost as easy as store buying your food. So it's, it centers around and the meal plans do this as well. Like let's take one monthly prep day and get our freezer stocked. And that's 
it's easy enough to do with a young baby because it's not a ton of food to get a month's worth of food. So um, meal prep is really just, you, let's get things in the freezer and then then there's weekly things to buy. So you have a shopping list and you're going to give fresh avocado and then you're going to give a frozen salmon pod from the freezer or whatever it is. So it's just making sure that you have food on hand because for us, that's been huge. I share my lunches every day for both of my kids on Instagram. And a lot of times it is just everything came out of the freezer and that's what's going with them. So um, yeah, I just, I, it, I want to make it not overwhelming to start with. So E is established gut health, which we've talked about. So it kind of goes through that introduction schedule, some of these things about what to look for. Um, and yeah, a little more on the research around gut health. N is nutrient density. So focusing, go, it actually goes through, nutrient by nutrient, how to make sure you're getting it, what it's needed for. Um, because really this is something we want to empower ourselves with as our kids grow up too, just to have a basic understanding of here's a good, a good variety of foods to cover what we need. Uh, you is umami sour and spice. So this, I, I really love this because it talks about, preventing picky eating, how to introduce certain flavors. And this is where you're saying like, you'll be surprised what your baby gravitates towards. Like my kids both loved sauerkraut and um, plain yogurt. And so I think there's like a lot of books on baby purees, they will sweeten everything because it's slightly more likely that your baby will eat a sweetened puree than straight whatever. But if you start that when they're six months old, you will never be able to get off of that sweet preference. So if you start with letting them get used to meaty flavors and them saying, oh, this is something my body needs. I like this flavor. Same with sour flavors. You're going to have a much easier time as they grow up with um, them not always preferring sweets. So, and I can say as a mom of an almost four-year-old, he loves sweet foods, but he also loves fish and chicken and liverwurst and, um, some of these other flavors, but yeah, he it's, so it's a normal progression, but you, you are still able to offer those foods without sweetening everything where I think that is a struggle for, once that picky eating stage sets in or around a year and a half that uh, if you've been used to giving your baby sweet foods, they're going to kind of prefer that for a long time. So yeah, just how to introduce like what spices should you introduce right away and like developing that palate. Um, and then S is self-feeding. So that's all about, um, baby led weaning style, like how to introduce that. So there are, I'm sure you went through this in your other episode, but there are a lot of benefits to babies getting to bring the food to their mouth with coordination, learning how to chew and, and also that self-regulation piece, you're putting them in charge of what they're eating. So I don't like in my method, I, I prefer to do a combo method where you can do some pureed meats because it is harder to eat 
meats in the baby led weaning style. There's a lot of veggies uh, that are emphasized in that. So I like to start self-feeding from day one. So I have a recipe for like bone marrow pancakes. So they're just cassava, egg yolk, bone marrow, um, and banana so that babies are able to eat it, but it's also, it has that bone marrow in it and the egg yolk. So it has a lot of nutrient density. So it's kind of just getting the best of both worlds, but I do, and if it doesn't work for your baby, if purees work and self-feeding doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Eventually your baby will learn these things. Um, but there are benefits to introducing it sooner if, if it works for your family. So, and then, yeah, also we talk about the things around choking and making sure you're doing it safely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love the whole menus. It's so easily outlined going, okay, these are the things that I want to focus on for good nutrients for my baby. And I love that you also focus on the, you know, like the, the culinary side of things, the tastes and the, you know, the spices and cause you know, I I'm into all that, <laughs> but it is, I knew you would be <laughs> our kids, you know, when they are introduced to that young, they are, I think just more open to those, to those different flavor profiles, which I think is so cool. And then also that self-feeding, but also focusing on that nutrient density. I really love that you have that kind of combination. So that's sort of the approach that we did with our kiddos too. Um, both of them, actually, we did a combination of purees and self-feeding. We just did a little more self-feeding with my second, just because I think I was a little bit less nervous to actually give her things the second time around, which is the conversation we had on baby led weaning, but then also that nutrient density. So Gosh, I love I love talking about this because it is very much kind of what we did with our kiddos. It just took me like four years to become comfortable <laughs> with giving my my kiddo these different foods and to allow her to like start to feed herself in some instances and things like that. So, yeah, and people have called my program like a baby led weaning program because by about nine months, you see those purees disappear. Um, you can still obviously have them if you want them, but there's, it, it's really just to bridge until your baby's able to eat meat easily. So you can have some pulled chicken, probably by seven months, you can have some pulled chicken and baby can pick it up and eat it. It's just on day one, it can be really difficult for babies to eat that way. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So in that vein, now that we kind of understand the basics, how can we start to add some more variety to those foods and how can we start to include our babies in family meals? Like when is the time where we start to kind of include them into family meals and start giving them family meals? Yeah. I, I want to touch on picky eating, like the whole idea around picky eating and toddlers quickly. So I, I mentioned that this will set in around 18 months and what it is, I think people think about it in this way of like, oh, well, once that hits, kids only like chicken nuggets and whatever. Um, but it's really about toddlers having safe foods. So there, there will be preferences that they have for food, which is normal. All humans have taste preferences. But what happens is toddlers really want to have foods that they know, and they're less likely to try new foods. So that's what's cool. Like as a baby, you can give them like zucchini noodles with curry powder 
And now that curry flavor is a safe food for them. So introducing these foods that are family meals, um, as soon as your baby is ready. So if, if you actually look at like my 11 month meal plan, it is mostly family meals. So you can freeze this and do it just for your baby, or you can eat it, um, because they're really ready to eat most everything by that time. So I think just establishing the foods that you want them to keep eating as safe foods. So this is something, like I said, I have an 18 month old now I've started to see a little bit of the picky eating creep in, which again is not preferences. It's resistant to trying resistance to trying new foods because you, you talk about your nine month old and you can put anything in front of them and they'll just put it to their mouth. Even if they end up spitting it out, they're willing to try new things. And that's what goes away. So yeah, all these foods that you want your toddler to be eating, making them regular foods um, as a baby is the best way to do that. And then, like I said, in the introduction of different flavors, that's a great way to do it as well so that they're not stuck on one flavor profile. Yeah, that makes that makes so much sense. I love that it's that slow progression to okay, now they're about 11 months and now they're you're just eating family meals and and that's awesome. Now that we are kind of wrapping things up and we've gone through the whole menus method for feeding babies, we've talked about gut health, we've talked about giving our kids the best start when it comes to nutrients. Do you have any last words of advice or pieces of wisdom for the mom who wants to give her baby the best start possible with first foods? So this is going to be a very biased answer as a nutritionist, but I do think getting like either outsourcing that nutritional education. So buying foods that are pre-made or getting a meal plan from somebody like outsourcing that need to learn about it. Or if you want to be, if you want to be your baby's nutritionist and do the menu meal planning and cook the foods to just learn about some of these nutrients that babies need. Um, so again, I don't want to overwhelm anybody, but if you're taking on that role, I think, I think it is a good thing to learn a little more about it. Um, and again, it's obviously something that's been super interesting to me and I'm very into, but I see a lot of benefits of giving your baby a nutrient dense diet. So whether that's piecing together information from different accounts or purchasing a program where it's all just done and ready for you, I think, I think it's great to, just learn a little bit more about what babies need. And also having these conversations with your, your pediatrician, they likely will not bring this up, but if you, they start talking about solids and you have some questions like how important is choline to my baby, you'll get a sense of um, their knowledge around it. Or are they just talking about rice cereal because they were told by someone to just recommend rice cereal? Um so there's, there's a lot of different ways to go around it, but I, I just would encourage conversations with your care providers and finding information and finding a way that works for you. So if somebody is pushing baby led weaning and you think like, oh, I should be doing this, but it just doesn't feel right. I would go with that feeling and find something that you think works for your family. Because I think that just isn't sustainable. And I'm sure there's a lot of parallels to 
intuitive eating versus dieting, where if you feel like you should be doing something, it, it can often just cause more guilt than any benefit. So. Yeah, I agree. Doing what works for you and doing what works for your family is, is always so important. So, Mm -hmm. and I think it can be so helpful to outsource something like this, especially if like this information is new and it might be a little bit overwhelming. We don't need to stress ourselves out more when it comes to feeding our babies. So just having a little bit of guidance, I think can definitely be really helpful. So with that note, I know that you mentioned that you have a free guide that we will link in the show notes. So the guide to starting solids, and then you also have a program. So can you share a little bit more with the listeners about how they can connect with you, all the social media places and your course? Yeah. So you can find my website, uh, michelletaggy.com, where I have some recipes and some links to the course. It's not the best place to get information from me. I've been more active on Instagram. So that's at your nourished baby. And I have a lot of IGTV videos on different nutrients and some posts. And uh, there's a lot of good information on there. Um, and then yes, the ultimate guide to starting solids. If you're in that, that area where you're trying to figure out how you want to get started, like what kind of, do I need to buy a high chair and a cup and those kind of things, this is really going to get you in that place to just get started. It's not going to go through all of the menus method or any of that, but that will be in my program where it's a, it's a full course, but there's also meal plans by month. So you have your six month meal plan, for example, it's going to give you recipes and a bunch of different options for laying out your weekly meal plan. So it's going to depend on if you want to cook liver or if you don't, there's going to be a different meal plan that doesn't include that. Um, if your baby's on one meal a day versus three meals a day, there's different meal plans for that. But the idea around that is, like I said, to get the food prepared ahead of time, get your shopping lists, and also give you what a week looks like to say everything is covered in the foods in this week. So I do think I make it simple, um, but also thorough. So then the course modules, the videos, those will just give you more information around the whys of the meal plan. So if from day one, you're like, I don't want to spend all this time watching course videos right now, you can just start on the meal plan and go to the modules later. So it's totally self-paced. You have lifetime access. And really, I think it gives a lot of information like for your toddler too, if you want to just learn a little bit more about fats and carbohydrates and nutrients. So that kind of, there's a lot of just basic nutrition information in the modules. So, and then the course just also includes some free guides. It includes six months of support on Slack. So the questions I get on there, like for, for my moms that are in the program, it's anything like my baby doesn't like fish, um, what kind of DHA supplement. And I'll, I'll kind of do the supplement prescriptions for people as needed, uh, if it's not something they can get on their own, but just anything that's coming up, like my, like troubleshooting anything from the the plans, my baby doesn't like this, or my baby is only eating fruits or there's just a lot of questions that come up as you're actually going through it. So that was something I added more of because the moms really 
seem to just want to get answers to their questions immediately. Um, and then there's some group calls and then a couple other guides, like I said, the talking to your pediatrician, um, breastfeeding nutrition. So there's a lot included and it's like, it's less than the cost of one session with a nutritionist. You're, you're like fully covered for that time. So I think it's really, um, I think it's really cool, but (laughs) that sounds awesome. That sounds like everything you need to start your baby feeding solids and with a a really good start, real food for real babies. Right. Um, so I have three fun little rapid fire questions that I love to ask at the very end. And I know you answered these before, but why not do it again? Cause it's over a year later. Right. So (laughs) what have you been loving to cook lately? So we've gotten more into our air fryer lately. So I have been doing a lot of chicken thighs, which, and this is like such an easy thing, but just like coating chicken thighs in spices and throwing them in the air fryer because they're really good. Um, And then I learned how to do those like really good restaurant Brussels sprouts where I'm like pan frying it in fat and then air frying them. And it's like, amazing. That was always like my favorite appetizer at those, yes. those places that do the fancy Brussels sprouts. So, um, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have an air fryer yet. And I've had so many people tell me like on the, just on the podcast, how much I need one. And I'm like, oh, I'm still thinking about it. We don't have a lot of room in our temporary kitchen right now, but, uh, it sounds so good. <laughs> my husband was the one who really wanted it. And I was surprised how much we use it. Yeah. Oh, I might, I might have to do it. <laughs> so then what have you been loving to eat lately? So for, for things I don't cook, we've been really into, there's a new restaurant that does poke bowls right mm-hmm. by us. Um, so that's just something that's like not easy to cook that <laughs> I like to indulge in. <laughs> oh, so good. Salmon obsession bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poke is so good. I love any sort of raw fish. So I'm, I'm into that. Yeah. (laughs) So my last and final question, because this is the healthy balanced mama podcast, and we're all about balance in every area. What does balance look like to you in this season? So with two jobs and two kids, (laughs) it's not easy to come by, but I do think like these little things like prepping food ahead. So you're not stressed about packing lunches the night before or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I'm trying to just like batch do things and then get as much help as I can. Honestly. Um, I do like, I'm just in a season where I want to pour into my business and help people. And I don't want that time to come from my kids. (laughs) I want it to come from things like, I don't know, cleaning my bathrooms. So I am trying to just get some help with things like that, things that I don't enjoy doing and um, yeah, that I don't have to do myself. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Such a realistic real life answer because we're all just trying to make it work, right? (laughs) Whatever help we can get. (laughs) And it's, it's one of those things where it seems like a luxury, but like it's just, it's just necessary. It, it lets me show up better for my work, for my kids. And that's just where we're at right now. <laughs> and that's so important. I think whatever, whatever we need to do to show up as the best version of ourselves for the things that are most important to us, like, you know, 
cleaning the bathrooms, probably, probably not the most important thing, but it needs to happen. Right. So that's, that's a, <laughs> a great and meal prep. You know, I'm all about meal prep. It can make such a difference in just getting meals on the table in a way that's way less stressful. So, oh my gosh, Michelle, this was amazing. So much good information. I cannot wait to share this. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and sharing all of this with all of the moms who are listening. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.